This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Mike Ross filling in for Dave, who is away today. And we are getting set for a long weekend. Now with Dave Brown will be returning on Tuesday. We'll be off on Monday. It's a special edition of the Friday News Panel. And I'm happy to welcome back to the panel Michelle McQuig from the Canadian Press. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Mike. And uh, Joita Gupta is here as well. Good morning, Joita, host of The Pulse. Good morning, Good morning, Mike. It's great to have uh, both of you here. Now, we're going to do uh, a deep dive into employment to mark National Disability Employment Month uh, or Employment Awareness Month. Uh, there are a lot of stats out there, obviously, that you can point to when we talk about a lack of inclusion in the workplace for people with disabilities. Only 59% of working age Canadians with a disability are employed. Now, that number does not include the number of people with disabilities who are underemployed. So there are all kinds of angles that we're going to get at here. And let's just sort of start here, all right? Can we have a conversation about disability employment without even acknowledging the lack of government supports for people with disabilities who are <laughs> unable to work. Michelle, I'm starting with you. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead. There's a couple things to acknowledge here and say no. I, I don't think we can have that discussion without at least acknowledging it and talking about that because there are so many connections between them. Uh, the fact that money gets clawed back for those who are on any kind of social assistance, if they have any other source of income, those clawbacks are very real. They pose huge hurdles to anyone who is trying to come up with a more secure financial future. Uh, it limits a lot of employment opportunities and access. So, yeah, I think it is a crucial conversation to have in this context. The other thing I just wanted to uh, acknowledge off the top is the irony, I suppose, or just the very fact that I have extreme privilege on this subject. The fact that I can sit here and talk to you about employment comes about because I have a job, which makes me one of the more fortunate ones in this demographic. So I did want to acknowledge both those things off the top. Absolutely. Uh, Joita, what about you? I think I agree with Michelle because it's really hard to have a conversation about employment for disabilities without also acknowledging the impact of uh, the social assistance regime that we are living in. There's a lot of overlap between the programs and the clawbacks that Michelle mentioned is often a huge disincentive to people with dis disabilities going out and finding, and finding work. I'm wondering, um, given your personal experience, both of you, um, has there ever been something an employer has been able to do to make you to 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 make you comfortable to to sort of make you confident um, in your work from an accessibility perspective? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, uh, so another component I feel is relevant here, and this pertains to my experience, is the fact that 
My disability is very easy to categorize and not heavily stigmatized. And it's immediately visible when I walk into the room with my guide dog. Everyone knows, oh, here's a totally blind person. So the question of accommodation is a pretty straightforward one for me. And I recognize that that is the case for a lot of people. That said, I clearly recall when I went in to interview at the Canadian Press. I was still in, in journalism school. This was for a summer internship. And I went in there and it was a very long, extensive process with a, lot, with a lot of questions about the journalism. But what really made me feel like I might be heard here is there were more there were more people in the room than I now know would otherwise be the case. And after all the journalism questions were done, there was a lot of conversation about what my needs would be. People asked not only about, you know, what screen reader I use specifically, but how it works. They really, really wanted to understand the process. And I was happy to walk them through that kind of thing. Um, not only did they make any of those arrangements that were discussed in the interview, but I just, I, our old office system used to have a security setup where there was a keypad that would re-scramble every time and everyone had an access code, but because the keypad would scramble, there was no way to know exactly where the numbers were. I had been hired for a four month internship and they had no guarantees that I wouldn't flame out after those four months. But nonetheless, they had gone ahead and installed card readers in the elevators, at the newsroom doors and the washrooms, basically just for me so that I would have full access to the place. That got me off on a really, really positive foot with CP in terms of accessibility. And they've been really great about that ever since, I have to say. Julie, what kind of experiences have you had from, you know, that, that, that sort of that positive angle? All right, we don't have audio on Juita right now, so we're going to work on reconnecting there. We got you, Juita? No, we've got we've lost audio there. So we will work to reconnect Juita. Um, meantime, Michelle, um, you know, I, I I hate to go down this road, but um, you know, with with all the positivity, there can sometimes also be some negativity. So I'm wondering if you've ever run into a situation where an employer or a prospective employer has made you feel like your accessibility needs would not be met. Uh, not so much on the employment front. And I think I chalk that up to what I talked about before, about the, the, the visibility and the lack of stigma around my disability and the fact that accommodation conversations aren't tough for me. But where I think another a number of people do run into access on the road to employment is possibly in school. I remember distinctly being told not to take certain courses uh, or or having professors express surprise and consternation that I was in some of their classes. Um, that attitude is not always very uh, conducive to feeling confident that you're going to be able to complete what you're setting out to do, especially if you're training in a specific program for a specific type of role. That said, actually, now that I think more about this, I was actively discouraged from pursuing journalism, but that was by someone outside of the school where I actually went. When it came time to actually embrace those studies and pursue those jobs, that's where I had more success. But that discouraging attitude and people saying, you can't possibly do this job because you have to be able to shoot video or you have to be able to look around the scene and, and report what you're seeing. Uh, those attitudes were there. I just really got lucky, I think, in, in not having to engage with them directly in the workplace or in my educational experience. Now, clearly, I mean, you, you've been extremely successful in, the, in your career. Um, but I'm wondering if there were, um, if you can sort of describe your path, I mean, you go from that, that, that really 
great start with CP to where you are now, you know, gone through a couple of promotions now, uh, you know, with a, with a much bigger business card because of a longer title, Um, (laughs) you know, and I've seen, I've been, I've been watching that growth as well. So it's been really impressive, but what's that journey been like for you? It's been kind of surreal, to be honest. Uh, I, I recognized all along my good luck here and this is and it's it sounds weird to talk about good luck in the context of summer where i have put in a lot of work and i will never shy away from saying that i have worked very hard at this job but luck has been a big part of it not just in terms of the the supervisors i got who who were supportive and who were open-minded and willing to give me a shot um getting some of those interviews in the first place, having a journalism school that was willing to take me on and 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 do an experiment because this was what that was for them was giving me a shot and then trying something that they had not tried before. So I've gotten very fortunate in terms of coming up against people who were willing to help rather than hinder my own efforts. And my good luck really came home to me even more as I began reporting. I didn't always report on disability issues for a long time. I actually steered away from doing that. When I finally leaned into that and and began doing it in earnest a few years back and started appearing on AMI more often, that's when I really got the broader context, context, excuse me, of exactly how ridiculously lucky I was. The fact that I have a situation that lies outside the stats that we keep hearing. Not only do I have a job, it's a full-time one, and it's in the field I train for. That shouldn't be as much of an anomaly as it is, but it is, and I'm aware of that, and I feel incredibly fortunate because of it. We've got Juita relocated and plugged in. How are you? Good. How are you? (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So give me – so we were were asking you about some positive experiences. I also asked Michelle about maybe some negative experiences. So I'm going to throw those – both at you at the same time. And you just talk a little bit about your journey because yours is like impressive because you held down your regular full-time job all the while coming to work here and then, oh, just, you know, a little stint at CBC among others. I mean, it's, I don't know how you juggled it all at the same time. People ask me all the time, how do you do so much? How do you keep it all together? I don't know. I just watched Juita and see what she does. You have no friends. (laughs) It's true. Um, I want to say that I've been very blessed with um, hearing what Michelle is saying and having this um, a very similar experience with people who were willing to go the extra distance to mentor me, to support me, uh, who didn't really look to me as someone who couldn't do things, but really saw in me someone who was employable and did have skills uh, that was brought to that that uh, that I could bring to the table. When I interviewed for my job, my full-time job at the not-for-profit, and I've been there for like 10 years now, um, one of the questions they asked me, and I think I actually bombed the answer, to be honest with you, but one of the questions they asked me is, in what way would you say your disability contributes to the work of the organization? And it was a really incredible question to be asked. Because often when we think about disability and we have conversations about disability and employment in particular, we're having very negative conversations and understandably so. You know, the underemployment rate and the unemployment rate being what it is and the association with workers with disabilities 
largely considered, and I don't say this is accurate, but the perception is that they're unskilled or un unemployable. So to be asked in an interview setting about the advantage that I would bring or the benefit that I would bring to the workplace by virtue of having a disability, it gave me pause because it wasn't just about here's an employer that's willing to accommodate me. In fact, um, I went down that road. I said, are you asking me about my workplace accommodations? And they said, no, we will have that conversation when you get the job. We're not worried about, that's not the conversation we want to have at the interview. At the interview, we want to hear from you about what it is that you bring to the workplace as an employee with a disability. And I have to say that that is the, no one has ever asked me that, ever. I've never been asked that question again. And I wish more people would ask it. Not just ask it to candidates at interviews, but ask it when they're making decisions about who it is that they're actually hiring. I had a great guest on The Pulse, uh, Hannah Thompson, who's a scholar and a writer, and she talked about this thing called blindness gain. And so I'm gonna take that concept and run with it a little bit and say there's disability gain in that there are things that you discover about your workplace, your processes, your software, and all manner of other things that don't become evident as problems. Maybe you aren't even serving the clients or covering the news stories you should be covering because you don't have the right people in the room. So that was a really good first step. And I've really been encouraged to think about uh, improving and modifying the way we deliver our services and do the work that we do from a disability standpoint, though not exclusively. I've worked on a bunch of other issues. And yes, I mean, it was it was kind of dropped in my lap. I have to give all credit to Paul Daniel, who's a producer here, uh, for having the generosity of spirit to see something in me that he felt was worth nurturing and giving me the opportunity to work at AMI. And I've had wonderful mentors along the way and people who have looked to be very gracious with feedback and support. So I've really had a good journey and gotten to do all the things I've ever wanted to do. Uh, I've worked in the field that I wanted to, that I've been trained in, uh, but I've also gotten to, to realize a childhood dream and a passion. Really, you can't ask for more. Now, uh, if I can talk a little bit about the downside, where I, and I suspect others have run into problems in the workplace, is once you're in the door, you realize that a lot of workplaces weren't designed for people with disabilities, surprise, surprise. Uh, Michelle had that great example about the elevators. But the one that I'm gonna give is a little bit closer to home in that many uh, companies use proprietorial software and things that are just flat out inaccessible. And that's when it became very tricky to have conversations about employers needing to change software, especially in a not-for-profit context where they don't have large budgets to go about you know, mo making modifications to things. And so they would often just say, well, okay, just don't do this or, you know, do less of this and do more of the other thing. Uh, and so really the barrier that I've come up against is not so much attitudinal as it is uh, built into the infrastructure of a lot of workplaces relying on often very outdated software, which is just a complete dinosaur when it comes to accessibility. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.